the reality is none of us are, are that important. Uh, yeah. And as soon as we begin to think we are, then uh, then I think we got a problem. So, um, you know, it, no matter the role, uh, certainly all of the roles I had at Woodbine and, and same applies uh, in my role at, at, at uh, Maple Leaf Sports and the same applied when I was running my summer business. Um, you know, I'm one piece of it. Um, obviously, depending, you know, at different points in time, I've had, you know, more senior positions and I've been more, more involved in sort of setting strategy and, and, and really being a decision maker, but but really only one piece. And I think that's, to me, that's just the reality of any organization, any business, whether you own it or whether you work for somebody else uh, who owns it, you're really only as good as the sort of individual bits and pieces and parts that come together. And any one piece of that that thinks they're too, you know, uh, you know too big a piece of it is generally focusing on, on the wrong stuff. Welcome to the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. My name is Chris Thompson, your host of the show and the head coach of the Student Works Management Program. This is a show dedicated to young and ambitious entrepreneurs and ultimately the leaders of tomorrow. Each week, we will bring you an inspiring interview or message to help you create the future you know you deserve. Let's get started. Hey, leaders. Really excited to be through the 300th podcast milestone. And the next eight weeks, we are going to be reflecting backwards. You know, one of the things that I want to reflect on is we started this podcast in the 2019, January of 2019. And it's incredible. Well, obviously, what's happened in the world in three years, but what's happened in this business, we were about to have a $10 million year. And then we went 18, 26, and 27, and we expect that we'll be well over $30 million this year. So our business has gone through so many transformations. It's been just incredible. And our podcast has, has grown. And really what the podcast has been about is, is showing and illustrating the incredible value of this program for young people to come and do and to see what somebody's career could look like after five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. And so we start for really where we started. And that is our first interview was with Nick Eves. He is the uh, chief venues officer at Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. So in the C-suite of MLSE, he is uh, was the chief executive officer of Woodbine Entertainment, which was the Ontario Jockey Club. He left our program after five years as a coach and as a multi-year operator and um, just worked his way up the ladder, providing more and more value. And that organization transformed incredibly over the 20 plus years that that Nick led it and was involved with it. And uh, Nick's always been just an incredible friend of the program at Woodbine Entertainment. He used to regularly host summer events for us and uh, provide value, share, you know, coach our operators. I know uh, he and his wife Marianne are uh, are uh, clients of the business and uh, and and use us uh, every year for uh, for for window cleaning, and we thank them. And uh, it really is incredible to see where he's gone. You know, through the Maple Leaf, through the pandemic, Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. I'm not sure if everyone's aware. Really took on helping feed those people less privileged, turning all the incredible kitchens and. The, the capabilities that Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment to serve and, and, and assist in the greater Toronto area. And uh, Nick was part of that. 
I know one of the things that having conversations with Nick over the pandemic since 2019, learning um, about just how how much of a struggle it's been to staff, you know, so hundreds and hundreds of their of their part-time team that are such a huge part of MLSE and the service that you get at MLSE were not back in contact, not not willing to re-engage. And so an enormous challenges and Nick and Nick's leadership team to continue to provide the incredible level of service that you see at MLSE events. So I know you're going to love this podcast or rebroadcasting this podcast. We are sharing this podcast so that it may give you an idea of, gee, who might be someone I know who wants to take a, a role, a more senior role in leadership and really is looking for a big future like Nick. And um, we would love if you could send anybody our way, share this, share this podcast, go send me an email, cthompson at studentworks.com, hit the link. And I know you're going to enjoy this podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Have a great day. Hey leaders, hope you're having a fantastic day. This is Chris Thompson here, and I'm super excited to have Nick Eves uh, coming up on the following podcast. Uh, I've known Nick for over 30 years, and Nick is the Chief Operating Officer of Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. Uh, he uh, worked with us, or worked with Student Works for four years. I had the opportunity to work with him uh, for, for two years. Um, uh, directly and mentor him uh, when he was in his early 20s. Uh, just a fantastic leader. Um, just uh, so, some of the really interesting things that he had to say and share in his uh, in his uh, in this podcast, upcoming podcast is is just the his humility and uh, and 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 the value of humility as a leader uh, is just so apparent here. Um, and uh, one question that. I get asked so often is, is, you know, how could I ever get the opportunity to work in an organization like Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment? And uh, not only that, actually operate and get a, get a chance to, to be in the, the, the C-suite um, with Masai and, uh, and Brendan Shanahan and uh, the incredible leaders at Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. So we asked him that. So uh, I know you're going to love the podcast. I certainly did. Thanks so much for tuning in. And uh, n- number one, Nick, I just wanted to say thank you so much for taking your your you know incredibly valuable time, and I know just jam schedule to make time for our podcast. So no problem, happy to do it. Yeah. So um, so um, you know, and 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 again, it's it's obviously really exciting times with the Raptors doing so well, the Maple Leafs doing so well, and uh, that's uh, that must be uh, pretty amazing. Um, you know, for for all that's going on, but. Instead of starting now, uh, you know, with what you're doing now, I wanted to sort of think back to, you know, the the thought about coming and joining um, joining Student Works back in the day. What 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 had you think that this was a, a good idea to sort of uh, to sort of incorporate into your future? You know, the idea of running your own summer summer business. Yeah, I mean, I've done uh, so. I I first ran my summer business uh, in the summer between us. Uh, third and fourth year university. So, you know, the prior summers I'd done your typically routine, you know, student summer jobs and 
online. I probably learned a little bit. I made a very little bit of money, but I really didn't feel like I was sort of equipping myself for anything, you know, anything kind of with, with sort of ambition or purpose or anything of the sort. So, um, you know, I knew I wanted to do something bigger. I knew I wanted to learn. Uh, I was in a general arts program. I was a political science major. And, and again, I, that was interesting and, and I was learning, but I really didn't feel at the time as though I was doing anything at all. Sort of set myself up for what I knew I wanted down the line, which was to, you know, be in a business, run my own business, um, you know, sort of really begin the sort of the makings of a, of a career in business, whatever that meant. And I actually right. didn't, know, right. I didn't know what it meant, but I knew uh, I was 20 or 21 or whatever it was, and uh, it was time to get started. And, uh, you know, I, and you know the story, but a friend of mine had run his summer business the summer before, learned a ton, made a whole bunch of money and, and uh, you know, and really kind of found a whole new kind of approach and, and, uh, and, and found a, a real focus and, and purpose. And then I needed Awesome. Awesome. And, and so thinking, thinking back to those times, what do you still rely on um, from, from the program or, or, or the types of things that you learned back, back in the day? Yeah, I think what I rely most on is just the ability to, to kind of get started on my own. Um, you know, as you know, nobody's kind of, you know, taking the first few steps for you uh, when it's your own business. There's nobody kind of in behind kind of, you know, pulling the strings and navigating and, and sort of, encouraging you to do this or reminding you to do that. Um, whatever it is, everything that it is, uh, it's all you. It starts with you. And then obviously, you know, to the extent that you're building a good team, then, then that's obviously the, that's obviously the power of, of, uh, of sort of the build out of the business, but you know, it starts with you. And, and, you know, it start. it was that when I was starting, you know, my, my summer business, it was that sort of self-starting, you know, kind of when, when I went into uh, my first kind of career, uh, after after school and and even now in the role that I'm in today, um, you know, I'm really fortunate in that I work with a team and, and we've got a bunch of resources and, and people around um, who can help deliver. But it's got to start with me in terms of where we're headed and what we're going to do and what it is uh, we need the team to really sort of rally around and, and start to start to perform. So um, you know, any any leader, any business owner, uh, operator, um, it really comes down to his or her ability to sort of set the, set the direction and, and really lead by example, which is sort of being the first one out there, um, taking those steps to, to, uh, to, you know, to really get things going. Yeah, no, well, well, I, I remember Rick, uh, sorry, Nick, post, post student works, you moved to the Ontario jockey club, which became Woodbine entertainment. And, and that was sort of your first move post post student yeah. works. What did you learn in that role? What did you see early on? And, 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 you know, in terms of your career development? Yeah. I mean the, um, so I was really lucky in that I did go to, to Woodbine entertainment group uh, quite soon after being a general manager uh, in your program. And, and really that turned into a 21 year career where I think I did every job uh, inside the organization. And, and I really learned that, um, you know, and I'd learned this in running my own business, but, but there's really, you know, it sounds so trite, but it's true. There's no job uh, too small. And, and certainly my experience has been, you know, those who are most successful are the ones who have really uh, done every, everything inside of their business and have been more than prepared to do everything they, they absolutely need to do in order to build their business. So whether that's out, you know, whether that's out selling, cold calling, you know, obviously trying to get new business, um, you know, obviously there's, nobody else is going to go and do that for you. Hopefully you can lead a team and have people doing it alongside you. But, uh, but obviously, you know, um, you know, success generally comes from, you know, sort of being in the trenches, being hands-on, you know, empowering while being hands-on, but really leading a team and showing that team that you're with them and that you're doing it uh, alongside them and, and that together 
uh, all of you, all of us are contributing to that success. So at Woodbine Entertainment Group, my first role was a, was a marketing role. We just started a new sort of line of business inside that organization. And I, I went in as a, as a marketing manager. I helped develop a, a marketing plan. And then within about 18 months, uh, there'd been some change inside the organization and, and that new business unit needed somebody to actually run it. So all of a sudden, I moved into more of a, a day-to-day operations role. And I, and I learned from that. And then over the course of my time at Woodbine, uh, really the roles kept evolving. And, and really what I sort of attempted to make sure that I did was sort of put myself in a position where when inevitably something changed and there was going to be an opportunity of some sort uh, for somebody, uh, I was trying to be sort of front and center in terms of, of having performed and whatever it was I had been doing at the time uh, and really putting my hand up to say, you know, this new opportunity, this new area of this of the business, this 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 more sort of senior set of responsibilities, I'd be perfect for that. So, you know, I really attempt, I always sort of attempted through doing a good job and whatever it was I was doing to be the logical person to be tapped on the shoulder to go and take on the next role. And, and ultimately that's what ended happening uh, at Woodbine Entertainment Group because I went from that, um, you know, marketing role to a to an operations role, to a bit of an operations portfolio across the entire business, to I became a president operating officer, and then eventually I became a CEO. So that was sort of a kind of a journey that, that really touched every piece of the business, all four corners, all the way along. Yeah, I know. And, and one, of the th- one of the things as well that's always, that's always shown up for me, uh, Nick, in, in your leadership style is really a sense of humility. Um, a lot of times I think young people think, oh, wow, you get successful and then there's sort of a sense of of wow I'm really important and 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 to me that's something you just have never been you know I know you regularly hosted our team like year after year after year at, at mm. Woodbine Entertainment it was so yes. great you come in and around your schedule make time and uh, you know what's what's your sense of that and, and and I know as well how you interacted I know as well how you interacted with 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 the people and your team and 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 you know again I got you were CEO but you know you, you wouldn't have known it just by by who you were being. Yeah, well, thank you for saying that, because to me, that, that's pretty important. I mean, the reality is none of us are, are that important. Uh, yeah. And as soon as we begin to think we are, then uh, then I think we got a problem. So, um, you know, it would, no matter the role, uh, certainly all of the roles I had at Woodbine and, and same applies uh, in my role at, at, at uh, Maple Leaf Sports and the same applied when I was running my summer business. Um, you know, I'm one piece of it. Um, obviously, Depending, you know, at different points in time, I've had, you know, more senior positions and I've been more, more involved in sort of setting strategy and, and, and really being a decision maker, but, but really only one piece. And I think that's, to me, that's just the reality of any organization, any business, whether you own it or whether you work for somebody else uh, who owns it, you're really only as good as the sort of individual bits and pieces and parts that come together. And any one piece of that that thinks they're too, you know, uh, you know, too big a piece of it is generally focusing on on the wrong stuff. So, um, you know, I've had much more success, um, you know, getting the team to really sort of perform and, and, and work alongside me, you know, as I have, as I have been one of them and, and as I've, you know, been humble and, and, and really, you know, to me, that's, it's just kind of, it's, it's, it's innate as opposed to, as opposed to sort of, um, attempted. And, uh, it just, it just generally gets you to a better place. And, and, uh, you know, there are, there are, there are times and environments and, and, files or issues where, you know, where you need, uh, you know, a, a bolder, more dogmatic, um, you know, more sort of uh, inward 
focused approach to things. So every now and then, I think that uh, every now and then, there's always a place for humility. Every now and then on top of the humility, you know, you need to drive and you need to be bold and you do need to make it a little bit about you to get to where you need to get to. But those are, those are sort of, those are exceptions uh, to the rule in, in, in my view. Yeah, no, I, well, I, I, I hear you. Um, one, like the, not many people know, but there's just um, an enormous growth from in Woodbine Entertainment over the 21 years you're there. I don't know how many hundreds of millions of dollars in increased growth there is, but just mm-hmm. fantastic growth. And, and obviously there's lots of things that happen, but what do you think were key to sort of making that happen, building the team, building the infrastructure, et cetera, and making all that, that success? Yeah, I think the key, I mean, you know, Woodbine Entertainment Group and, and horse racing generally in North America anyway, are, you know, is, is a business, is an industry that, that really hadn't changed a whole lot and really wasn't open to change. It had been successful uh, over, over time and, and its success had come from a particular formula. And as, as is often the case with these things, um, there were a lot of people who thought the only way to continue to be successful was to continue to follow the same old formula. And it's kind of obvious that that formula, while for sure, having been successful over time, uh, wasn't going to be the formula for the future. So really, um, you know, the, the success that, that we ended up enjoying inside that organization sort of was born out of an eventual sort of understanding that we did need to change. We needed to change, not for change sake, but in order to really sort of reimagine the business and, and set ourselves up to succeed in an environment that had been changing dramatically. And, and you know, our industry was, was one of the first that had we not sort of embraced technology and, and it, one could argue that kind of a, a bigger embrace of technology that has to happen. But had we not gone and really embraced, um, you know, sort of the, 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 the sort of the power of TV and, and been prepared to go and put our content out on television, which meant that we were giving fans an excuse to not come to our venues. Why would you come to Woodbine Racetrack if you can watch it on television? So, so the very notion of that to some was, was absurd because right. while we were struggling with a declining sort of attendance, we were going to go and put racing on television and probably have you know, a, a, a sort of even further declining attendance. But, but obviously the, the ambition there was to expose our content to a much, much larger sort of universe of people. And then again, through initially the telephone and then ultimately with the emergence of the internet, not to sound you know, dated, we created platforms whereby obviously customers could then go and transact in our business. But, but many, many, many fewer were coming to Woodbine and many, many more were were actually becoming fans of our content because we were contributing it to them. So that's just an example of the business needed to think differently. And it doesn't matter whether you're a horse racing business or a hockey and basketball and concert business or a painting business or an insurance business. Um, you know, you, you obviously want to stick with the things that are working for you, um, you know, and, and, and keep doing more of those. But I think all of us in whatever businesses we're, we're running need to constantly be looking at where, you know, where, likely change is headed and try and get ahead of that change and, and try and be a little bit of a pioneer around sort of being on the front end of that change so that ultimately, you know, your competitors are, are continuing to follow you rather than, uh, rather than being out in front of you. So I think that was really the, the decision that, that a bunch of us made at Woodbine to change the business model and not fear the immediate sort of perhaps step backwards, which it was because we went from, you know, a declining attendance at Woodbine to a more precipitously declining attendance at Woodbine. Right. So, so these new guys who thought they understood horse racing were all of a sudden, you know, not so smart. Um, but but it took some patience. It took sort of a commitment to really investing in the ways that we're going to go and expand the business. So 
So I think that was the difference. And I think, again, it doesn't matter what business you're in, the constant sort of uh, commitment to to change and to not standing still, because as soon as you, as soon, I mean, again, it sounds so, so cliche, but as soon as you're standing still, particularly if it's for a while, then obviously somebody's going to catch up with you and, and then all likely it'll blast past you. So we didn't yeah. like that. No, I totally, I totally, I totally hear you. And one of the things about that, that business was it was uh, parts of that business were very involved with the government. What did you learn about working with the government or the challenges of working with the government? Yeah, I learned that I really uh, don't want to be running a business that's, uh, you know, significant, uh, significantly directed or controlled by government. Right. Because uh, obviously that's a very challenging environment. But from the standpoint of learning to navigate through that by its nature, non-commercial framework, uh, right. while frustrating and while you know, extremely challenging, ended up being remarkably, um, I was going to say rewarding, it probably wasn't that rewarding, but it was certainly helpful from a developmental perspective. Because again, I mean, even if we don't operate inside a, a regulated or a government controlled business, the, the, the need to um, be able to sort of respond to, um, you know, sort of irrational, not in the most extreme sense of, of, of irrationality, but, but irrational from the standpoint of perhaps non-commercial um, sort of um, factors is important, right? Because again, I mean, I'm sure it's the case in, in your business. Uh, thankfully, most of the time you're dealing with, with strictly commercial transactional issues and, and thank goodness, because those are kind of line of sight. We all understand those. Yes. But, but every now and then you're dealing with issues that are outside of those bounds and they're, and they're a bit, they're, they're a bit opaque and they're, they're, they're sort of curious and they're much, much more difficult to sort of navigate through. And generally speaking, they involve people and, and, yeah. and the natural or unnaturally different sort of drivers that, that, that different people have. So, so being able to sort of navigate through different, challenging, commercially irrational decisions and issues, uh, I, I just assume not have to do too, too much of that uh, right. you know, sort of uh, through the course of, of, of the work that I do. But it, but it ended up being helpful, disciplined um, sort of learning, and and I, and I and even today, I mean, again, I'm thankfully I'm I'm running a part of a business now that that isn't government controlled and, and regulated, but of course there are stakeholders um, that have objectives that fall outside of the narrowly commercial lens, and and being able to sort of be tuned into um, kind of how to deal with those issues uh, is is important, and and I learned it kind of the hard way, but I'm glad to have learned it. Yeah, no, and I could see as well, like Maple Leafs and Raptors and and FC, they really are a trust in the community, yeah. right? So, and and so, and some of that's irrational uh, yeah. and not no, commercial. And so, so how do we, you know, and listening for that as part of our yeah. consumers and and uh, you know, and getting that uh, and uh, you know, and understanding that they're a stakeholder in the business. Yeah, um, exactly right. I mean, we have owners who are shareholders. Um, who have commercial objectives, of course, but but your analogies are really is a really really good one, and and so many people have such passion for teams and the content and the things uh, that Maple Leaf Sports and and its brands do. That in addition to them being commercially successful, which of course is really important to ownership, um, you know the, the the bar is higher in that they are to a certain extent uh, a public trust, and and yes. and even though a Leafs fan or a Raptors fan or an FC fan or an Argos fan knows that they don't, they're not an owner of the team. The great thing about the sports business is those passionate fans feel like owners and they behave like owners and, and thank goodness they do. And yes. you have to treat them like owners because if, sure. if you're not, then, then they're not going to be as supportive and as diehard and as passionate uh, for, for what you do. So, 
So while they're not owners, uh, they have the, they, they have every right to to behave as owners and feel like they, they need to be treated as owners. And, and then we as a, as a leadership team need to figure out how to strike that balance between indeed treating them as owners of the, of the content, um, you know, and, and just helping them kind of uh, at the end of an event, get what, what they wanted, which was just kind of, you know, in every way, the thrill uh, of a lifetime, but it's up to us to deliver it. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. It must be a childhood dream. I imagine, you know, growing up in North Toronto to be, you know, the chief venues officer for Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, the Raptors, the Leafs, the, all the brands down there. You know, what, what's what's your feeling about that, Nick? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a diehard sports fan. Um, you know, I, I grew up uh, a Leafs fan from birth. I was born in 1968. So, Sadly, I can still say a Stanley Cup in Toronto, not in my lifetime. Yes. Uh, but we won't be saying that for much longer, we all hope. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, anyone who's a sports fan and, and, a, and a music and entertainment fan, because that's a big part of our business. Yes. Well, yeah. uh, this is an amazing environment to be coming to work in uh, every day, right? I mean, I, I realize that I'm, I'm so fortunate to, to spend my day dealing with issues and, and working through challenges and opportunities that involve the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Toronto Raptors, and the Toronto FC and the Argos. Uh, and, you know, again, the, the side of our business that's that's not as um, evident uh, to some people is the fact that, um, you know, we are, Toronto is the is the third largest um, kind of concert market in North America, the eighth largest in the world. So, uh, and Scotiabank Arena, which is obviously our marquee venue, uh, you know, is the, is, the, is, the, is the busiest. So, so if there's not a Leaf game or a Raptor game uh, inside this building, then, then, then inevitably there's probably a concert uh, going on or a Cirque show or a UFC competition or a, you name it, right? So, wow. um, so to be around though that type of content and to be part of a team that's helping to strategize around how obviously to do more of that. And then when we're, when we're fortunate enough to be able to host these amazing events, put them on in a way that's both commercially successful, but, 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 you know, an amazing fan experience uh, is a, is a, you know, it's a great way to obviously spend a day and, and uh, a great way to, uh, a great way to make a living. So, um, you know, obviously we're, you know, it, we're fan. We're all fans. Most of us are fans, but obviously, you know, you, you, you discover really quickly that it's about the business. You're, you're sort of a you're a you're a manager first. You're an operator first. You're you're a you're a steward of these brands and this organization first, uh, and you're a fan second. The good news right. is that yeah. the fan the fan second isn't all that far behind. But yeah. uh, <laughs> obviously, you got you got you got to park the, the you got to park the fandom and focus on the uh, focus on the business priority. But the good news is they often intersect. Hey leaders, I hope you are enjoying this podcast. As we approach and surpass 300 episodes, well over 95% of the leaders that we have interviewed have been alumni of the Student Works Management Program. It has been an honor to participate in their development over the years. Starting now and only for the fall months, we will be on campus at universities and colleges in Ontario, Quebec, and the East Coast, interviewing students who think they have what it takes to start their first business and get started down the path of entrepreneurship. If you are interested in being a leader in our program or know someone who does, please go to the show notes and hit Student Works and get sent to a landing page to apply. There is a bold Student Works that you can hit to go to a landing page to apply. Thanks so much. Back to the show. 
Yeah, no, you're doing a great job putting on a, a great experience. Um, and then it's just, you know, it's fun for the entire, uh, you know, stadium, the, the, all the clientele. And then obviously you're having fun at the same time. It's impossible not to. Yeah. And obviously it's so much more fun when the teams are winning. And, yes. and uh, I've been somewhat fortunate in that I've been here almost two and a half years now. So thankfully all of the teams have done a little bit more winning than they've done losing. So that's yes. amazing. Obviously there were some years leading up to that where, uh, where, where the balance was, uh, was a little <laughs> bit skewed the other way. So I'm well, I'm well aware and I'm reminded often that uh, first of all, the teams, you know, of course, they don't win all the time. And, and this yeah. is a, this is a much, much more difficult business when the teams aren't winning. And I mean, the, you know, the, the perfect example is, you know, Toronto FC uh, and the Argos went from, you know, um, major league soccer and CFL champions last year to neither of them making the playoffs this year. So those businesses are rather more challenging uh, right about now to yes. operate. And in terms of getting season seat holder renewals and partnership renewals and making operating decisions around moving those businesses forward. I mean, obviously the, the, the resolve and the focus on, on finding success is no less. In fact, it's probably even greater, but it's, it's tougher to do uh, in an environment where, where you haven't come off sort of win after win after win after win. So, um, so that's the, again, going back to the somewhat irrational nature of things. I mean, at the end of it all, all anybody wants, all any fan wants, all any owner wants, all anybody wants is for these teams to win. And right. obviously when they're winning, amazing. When they're not winning, everything gets a little bit tougher. For sure, for sure. Or a lot tougher. And so in terms of thinking back about failures or setbacks in your career, you know, what are what are maybe some of those or, or, or big ones? And then also just what did you learn from them? What did you take from them moving forward? Yeah, I would say um, there were a couple times along the way where, you know, I, I didn't put myself forward uh, you know, to, to be sort of the logical person to go and take on a new opportunity. Um, er, and more so earlier in my career, although, although it, you know, kind of still happens from time to time. And, and that's a confidence thing, right? And okay. I think, I think, I think, I think there are times, certainly when you're newer to something, or perhaps when you've, when something hasn't, when what, what you were doing last didn't have the level of success that you had hoped. Um, I think it's human nature for that to, you know, to shake your confidence uh, a little bit. And, and I can remember a couple times where I didn't have the confidence to really go and put myself out and be, you know, and, and, and sort of put my hand up and say, I'm the right one to go and take on this opportunity. And, right. and looking back, I was, or I was certainly better than, than the next alternative. Right. But, but, you know, there have been moments in time where, where for a bunch of different reasons, I just, I didn't have the confidence to go and do it. And I think, Again, I think I think that's somewhat natural, and I think the I think really what I learned was to not allow that kind of moment in time to sort of get in the way of sort of a more forward-looking decision. And, and really, this is it's about the long game, right? And even if something's telling me at this moment in time, you know, maybe I don't know enough about something, or maybe I'm not ready. Um, you know, it is the long game, and I can get ready pretty quickly. And 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 I'm going to set myself up just to make sure that you know I'm in the mix uh, such that when these next opportunities are coming. I'm going to be a part of it. And, and, and it's really, it, it is about confidence and, and again, not irrational confidence and not, no, not arrogance. Sure. I mean, there's a fine line obviously between confidence and arrogance as we all know, but, um, yeah. but, but, but sort of drawing on that confidence to, to, to know that with help, uh, with support, with mentorship and with, you know, a bit of experience and some, and some good decision-making, you can actually do pretty much anything. 
uh, and don't forget that. And a couple times I forgot that. And, yeah. uh, you know, I need to, and even now, like every now and then, uh, you know, not so much an opportunity or a position, but just on a, on a, on an issue. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm in an environment, I was in an environment for 21 years where, you know, towards the end of it, I've probably seen almost everything. And, uh, I probably had the confidence that no matter what was going on, I had a good feel for it. Here I am. I'm a little bit newer into, into, uh, into, into an environment now. And, and I sure, I'm not even close to knowing all of it. In fact, sure. in fact, there's so much that, that I just don't really have a sense of yet. So, so having the confidence to, to acknowledge, I don't really know everything about this issue, or, or maybe that I don't know anything about this issue, but I know enough and I've had enough experience and I've got a team around me uh, and I'm, I trust in my ability to, to sort of assess, um, evaluate, and then make a good decision. And uh, you don't need, you know, it, it's not about, understanding an issue, um, every side of an issue and everything about an issue. It's about having the confidence to know enough, have the right people around you and, and be in a position to make a good decision. Yeah, no, I hear you. And it's, it, it's it, one of the things that jumps up for me, Nick is, is, is on the, on the side, on the flip side of every real strength. And one of the, your real strengths is humility and sincerity and authenticity comes the backside, which is maybe, Hey, you know, gee, you know, I think on the, the backside of those people who are just unconsciously irrational, yeah. confident and, and, you know, et cetera, a lot of times they don't show those other things. So it's, right. it's, it's, it's kind of, you know uh, you know, for me, I'm, I'm too nice many times and that, that can be a real problem, you know, yeah. Yeah, stepping yeah. into that just being assertive and no, this is right. how it's got to be. And yeah, you got it. Not and it's, and it's, it's about, it's about choosing the moments, right. And, and, yeah. and you, you've had a, you, you know, you, you built a business over, over a career by knowing those moments and, and knowing which style is the right one for, for the time or the moment for the person. And, and of course it's never, it's never just one approach. You know, one single approach isn't going to make anybody successful and, and we are who we are innately. So I'm going to approach things the way that I do because it's just kind of, how I'm wired and, and I'm never going to be able to sort of turn that on its head and, yeah. and stop doing it. And that's okay because, because for the most part it's, it, it, it's works, but it doesn't work for, it doesn't work for every situation. It doesn't work for every person. Uh, and, and, you know, quite often it actually doesn't work. So, so, you know, half the battle is knowing when it isn't going to work based on who it is that's on the other side of the table or whatever the issue is and being able to pivot and, and use, another set of skills, which maybe aren't as innate or don't come to the surface as naturally, but are going to be required for that particular situation. And that actually is much, much harder because you're, you're going against sort of your, you know, kind of your, your internal wiring and you're going against your sort of default position and you're intentionally behaving in a way that isn't authentically you. Um, but you have to do it in order to get the result that you need to get to. And it's not, it's, it's, it's not sort of, uh, you know, it's not inauthentic. That's no. a word. It's just adapting to what you need to do under the circumstances. Yeah. And getting out of your comfort zone. Right. For sure. Yeah. And so, so, you know, um, what do you see as the secrets to your success? You know, uh, you've had just an incredible career, Nick. Well, I don't know about that, but the, um, <laughs> so I think, uh, I'm only 50. <laughs> I know that. I can't, I, know that. Uh, I can't believe you're 50. I've been 50 for a month and every time somebody asks me how old I am and I say 50, I'm like, I can't believe I just said I'm 50. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think I've all, I've sort of had the long game in mind, which obviously if you're one place for 21 years with people of my age and certainly a lot of your team's age just doesn't happen any longer. So, so for me, that was an investment in patience. Uh, there was a continual learning, which is why it made sense for me to stay where I was for such a long time. But I think the, 
you know, and, and obviously in those earlier days, I was impatient and uh, I was probably looking for things to happen more quickly, even though they happened fairly quickly along the way, I probably wanted to have them uh, have them happen more quickly. And I was disciplined enough and frankly content enough to stick with it and trust that as things were going well, new, bigger, better things would continue to come. So I think that was part of it. Again, I, I didn't just wait sort of fingers crossed, eyes closed, blindly, hoping and praying that things are going to work out. I, I, I think I intentionally sort of invested in, in decisions and development behaviors that I felt fairly confident would be, would be rewarded, but I was patient in allowing that reward to come. So I think, so I think that's helped. And then the other thing that's helped again, certainly, and this is easier as you get older or as you have sort of more years under your belt, sort of in, in any, in any sort of business or in any market, but but just making sure that I continue to stay close to my network and, um, and, and frankly, tap my network, uh, not sort of always taking, because obviously that doesn't last very long if you're, you know, you're only ever a taker. Right. <laughs> uh, the network dries up a little bit, but, but, you know, I've never done anything. I've never done anything on my own. Uh, most people don't. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, I'm just, just not that talented, but, but, um, being able to draw on, um, you know, sort of peers, from, you know, from my student painter days, from my Western days, from my Woodbine days, from, you know, the other environments that I have sort of just kind of uh, been lucky enough to be involved with sort of over the course of a career. So, so staying involved in that, um, stay, you know, keeping that network active and, and making sure that those relationships um, carry on. Uh, and again, in a way that's authentic, um, you know, nobody really likes the person who's just constantly out there uh, overtly networking, like that's a pretty obvious thing. So it's, it's not that, it's just managing those relationships and, and, and frankly, helping those, those that you've sort of developed relationships with um, over time, sort of helping contribute to their success. And, and quite naturally, when you're, when you're doing that, then you're going to see it come back in ways that are, that are really helpful to you. So, so but that's, that's difficult. Like, it sounds so obvious. Yeah, who, who wouldn't want to go and make sure that they keep a, a network active? you know, obvious, right? right. Um, but it's, it's an investment in time. And, and when anyone's building a career of any sort, um, especially, and if they're building a family at the same time, and whoever, who knows what else, um, you know, time is scarce. And, and quite often, um, you know, what I found was when I was least effective uh, at sort of managing and, and building that network is when I was sort of, when I was least intentional about doing it. And I would, you know, I'd say, well, I'm, you know, I've been working all day, I've got young kids. And of course, you know, they're my they're my priority. And, and I, and there were times, there have been times where I just haven't really kind of invested in those relationships and in, in that network. And, and when you don't do that, you know, it, you know, it can go a little bit dormant. The good news is you, you can activate it again fairly quickly, but um, you know, I'm, uh, I'm always the beneficiary of, you know, of, of sort of relationships and, and peers and mentors and, and just kind of, you know, colleagues along the way who, who I still, kind of turn to, to either for advice or for an introduction or for a perspective on a, on an issue or an opportunity. And, and uh, again, some people, as you get sort of further into a career, some people sort of take the view that, well, at a, at a certain point in time, you shouldn't actually have to ask anybody else. Or you should be able to kind of do it all on your own. And I, I don't know whether that day's ever been. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm probably fairly shameless in just making sure that that, you know, I've had, the, I've had the great fortune of, of you know, meeting tons of people and interacting with tons of people and, and working on projects and opportunities with lots of people. And, and uh, they're a big part of kind of, of the journey going forward. And I don't think that ever, ever ends. And uh, staying close to that, I think, is a really important thing. 
Yeah, I find the same thing. And the other piece about it is, is that I, I find it really closely tied to personal development. So I've yeah. learned so much from my peers, learned mm-hmm. so much from and feel feel like just a sense of camaraderie. Oh, okay. That's that's you know, and I know I've had many, many discussions with you over the years. And 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 again, I uh, you know, very blessed to call you a friend and 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 a, and a peer and just the things I've learned and just felt like, oh, he feels that way too. Yeah. Oh, okay. Like yeah. it's just kind of a a sense of, oh, okay, good. I'm my sense of that is right. You know, right. Uh, it's yeah. it's it's a helpful thing. Yeah. And, and again, it doesn't matter what business is, what business we're running. And, and, you know, you've run a bunch of different businesses and yeah. I've run a bunch of different businesses. <clears throat> they might, they might deliver something slightly different at the end, but the component parts to success are identical. Right. right. So, so learning from somebody else who has built a business and, and, and obviously suffered some setbacks along the way, uh, irrespective of what their business is, is enormously helpful because yes. those experiences are, are highly relevant and valuable to, whatever it is you find yourself doing so um so so not being afraid to ask and intentionally trying to get that perspective um and again i wish i did more of it because it's, it's easy not to do because it's just it's, it's more time and and uh you know it's time and effort at its, at its at a time when everyone's really really busy but it's really it's really really rewarding what would you recommend to a young emerging leader get, getting started out you know university you know just getting started out after university yeah um, well, first of all, you know, go in, go in a direction that, that, that you're most sort of likely to really enjoy as opposed to something that somebody, either society or a friend or a family member is telling you you should do, right? And there's a lot of that, right? There's a lot of, sure. there's a lot out there where some, where, where it, it's suggested that you may want to do something. And I get it. I mean, those are, that's just the way the world works. But generally speaking, uh, again, these things are, are kind of obvious, but but you're really not going to be successful if you're in an environment where you're doing it for the wrong reasons uh, and it isn't going to make you happy at the end of the line. So, um, so you got to go, you got to, you got to go in a direction that, 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 that something's telling you that you're going to be able to find happiness uh, doing it. And you also have to be prepared and, and it may be, it, uh, you know, as it may be harder now than it was before, but I think you have to be prepared to start kind of at the bottom and, and, and earn your way up. And again, how obvious does that sound? But, but lots of times, whether you've spent a lot of time in school and you've got a graduate degree and you've had, maybe you've had some amazing success running a summer business, right? That's how fantastic. But that doesn't entitle any of us to anything, right? It means that good news is we've had some success and that probably creates a foundation for us to have more success, but it doesn't entitle us to sort of a, a, a sort of a particular perch as we go into our next opportunity. And, and you know, I, I understand people, especially those of us who, who are a bit more a type are impatient and we want to kind of, we want to sort of jump in, you know, into the middle of it and, and sort of have a serious running start and, and, and some can, and that's a, that's a, that's a really great thing, but, but it is a long game. And, uh, and even something that feels in the first instance, like it might be uh, either a step backwards or not an obvious sort of path to, to where you want to, where you want to get to, um, you know, the path can always, the, the only thing I know is the path's always different than you think it's going to be. Yes, and yes. I think you just have to kind of trust your, you got to trust your head and your heart and your gut and make the decisions that feel like the right ones are making you happy, seem to be sort of in line with the, with the sort of the course uh, that you've set for yourself, but, but allow things to play out. And again, not in this sort of blind, I'm just going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to blindly and faithfully believe that things are going to work out for me. That doesn't work that way. It's when, when you're making good decisions, you know, when you're working harder than anybody else, when you're putting in the time and effort than, 
then things are going to work out and, uh, uh, and the path is going to look probably slightly different than you'd imagined it. But because you've been prepared to do whatever needs to be done, you're the one who's kind of up first, making those calls first, knocking on those doors later, um, you know, being, being you know, ultimately being the one who's driving things forward. That's what gets, that's what gets rewarded. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And, and I guess, you know, one thing I know people will want me to ask is, you know, how do I end up working in a, in a, you know, world-class sports organization like MLSC? What, what, you know, what special tips or, or what, what, you know, what could you recommend, uh, Nick? Yeah. So I started at MLSC when I was 48 years old. Right. So, um, sure. I was a fan, you know, I've been a fan all my life. Um, you know, I, I talked about the Leafs. I've been a Raptors fan since 1995 when they started playing. So, so yeah, I mean, obviously um, lots and lots of people uh, would love the thought of working in an environment where those, where those teams are playing. So, so I, so I get it. Um, But, you know, uh, and, and that, and, and having passion for, for what those teams do is a critical piece of success because obviously, you know, if if you, if, if you bring that passion and that passion sort of touches on every decision you're making as, as you're, be, that's going to be a good thing. But obviously, you know, the core ingredient of, of successful people who work here isn't their passion for the teams. It's an important piece of it. But, you know, you've obviously got to be an expert in your area of the business. And, and I tell a lot of people, and again, because I was 48 when I got here, you know, I, I guess I can say it with, with, with some credibility, but go and do a bunch of other things first, right? Even if, even if you think that, that working for the Toronto Maple Leafs or the Toronto Raptors or whatever is, is, the, is the ultimate job and that you've got all of the skills to go and do it, you, you probably do. Um, but there's, there are going to be hundreds of other people who kind of want the same thing and are going to be so, almost narrowly focused on the same thing. And, and you can, you can take that path if you want, but I think you're going to be better equipped to go in and do different things, get some experience, have some success, um, be able to obviously show how it is that, that you've, you've been able to sort of build a career and make some decisions, do all these things, because that's a much more valuable sort of skill set when you're in front of somebody who's hiring for the next position inside this, this organization. Right. right so right. Uh, again, but that's the long game, right? Um, it's, it's sort of investing a bit of time and energy in, in developing skills and having some, you know, develop and sort of, um, you know, sort of learning through experience and then, and then, and then bring that, uh, you know, bring that to sort of a, a conversation with somebody who actually is hiring for a, for a position. What I've seen is a lot of people kind of, they want to jump to it. And I understand why, right? Like out of school, I'm going to go and work for, for Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment. And some people do. Like that's not, that's not, that's not an impossible path. But, right. but generally, bringing sort of a broader set of skills and experiences uh, and learnings along the way, to me anyway, as a hiring manager, is more valuable than the person who was top of their class at the best school and, and you know, was, was the head of every club. Like I'm not trying to diminish those things at all. Those are, those are, those are important attributes, but to me they're, kind of secondary to real experience, real skill development through just having done it, not in, not in the sports industry, having done it inside any business where you've had to, you know, learn, work, work alongside people, manage people, make difficult decisions, um, you know, work on strategy. Um, you know, that's all of that is going to set somebody up a whole lot better, um, you know, for, for, uh, for a position here. Well, Nick, um, I, I, uh, I respect your time tremendously. Uh, I told you I'd get get you out of this by nine o'clock because I I know you got a nine o'clock meeting. And, I got a nine o'clock so, meeting. So uh, and and I just love you know you, you've played the long game all your life and you talked about that just to, how how the long game's so important you know mm. patience and again patience but with activity with commitment yeah. with del- delivering results. So uh, hey, 
Thank you so much, my friend. No really problem. appreciate yeah. it. You have an awesome day. Sorry for the technological hey, glitches. No problem. Great, great talking to you, Chris. Talk soon, my friend. Bye-bye. You got it. Bye-bye. Hey, leaders. I hope you enjoyed this episode. By now, you are aware that we work with ambitious students every single year to not only help them run their first successful business, but to further their development as a leader and give them an unfair advantage in the future over their counterparts. It's why starting now and only for the next few weeks, we'll be on campuses across Ontario, Quebec, and the East Coast, interviewing students who think they have what it takes to start their first business and get started down their path of entrepreneurship. If you think you have what it takes or know someone who might be interested, visit leaderspodcast.ca slash apply and start your application process today. Once again, it's leaderspodcast.ca slash apply. And I can't wait to see you on the other side.